0: You can shape your ideas, but also you don't have to be your ideas. Just because you think something doesn't mean it's true. Just because you think something about yourself doesn't mean that it's true. A lot of people get tied into this thought of like, I got to believe my thoughts. know, well, most of your thoughts are bullshit. You don't have to believe them. You can input totally different thoughts. You can say, I'm bad with people. I'm bad on stages. I'm an introvert. I've talked about this before, but this is one of the reasons why I hate labels. I could go off on that. But people have all these labels, which are just identities and they live into them. And I'm like, no, at any point you can scrap that and go, I'm really good with people. I'm really good at reading a room. I'm really good at public speaking. I'm great at leadership. As you kind of lean into that identity, yeah, you got to get the skill set. But the piece that most people miss is most of it's mindset.
1: Welcome to Pivot Me, where we give business tips and mental hacks so you can move past your biggest obstacles and live the life you've earned. And now your host, business advisor and performance expert, April Garcia.
0: For years, I made large companies larger and rich people richer. Now I coach driven entrepreneurs to hack success, create more time and get better results Hey, Pivoter. I hope you are getting after it today. Things are great here. I'm recording this morning, a 20 degree morning in Reno that I'm hoping will eventually become a 55 degree day today. We'll see. Though it is still winter, the weather's been a little wacky. So we're in a strange place where we have plans this weekend to go swimming on Saturday and skiing on Sunday. I love the dichotomy. Someone who loves change, this is really scratching that itch for me. At the Pivot Me Academy, we've been hard at work on our latest project. I think I told you a few weeks ago, we're working to relaunch our our podcast on our YouTube channel. In fact, the YouTube channel is a great idea and I executed on it about two years later than I should have. You know, I'm always up front with you about the things that we knock out of the park and the others that we kind of miss all the signs. So YouTube was one of those obvious choices that I stepped right over. No time to waste. Once we got it on our radar, we dug right in, but it was just such a good reminder. What else have I missed that's right in front of my face? I don't know. Maybe you have something like that. Maybe some great opportunity that could really help you, really help some people, but you haven't set aside the time to do it. You haven't really invested, whether it's time, money, the mental real estate, you just haven't made that a reality yet. And see, the truth is, you can't do all the things at once. And working with business owners every day, I am very aware of how we tend to get this diluted priorities, right? Like we're chasing two rabbits, catch none. Well, I'm always reevaluating, is this another rabbit that I'm chasing or is this the one to go after? It's tough to know what needs to make it to front and center and what needs to be left on the cutting room floor. But just in case there's something that keeps nipping at your heels, maybe take a second to revisit it because I've dropped this in the parking lot a little too long. So YouTube, we're relaunching it. Actually, I'm not supposed to really like let you know, but I'm going to do it anyhow. If you go to YouTube and type in April Garcia Pivot Me, it will already pop up. So, we haven't done the official launch yet, but you could get a sneak peek already. And you're gonna see several interviews that you've heard on the show. You're gonna see me talking to the actual guests. We've got Sharon Lecter on, we've got Cameron Harold, Jay Abraham will soon be up and you can actually watch the video of us talking. And I'm pumped for this big launch. I wanted to let you know behind the scenes. Yeah. So it's just a good reminder. It was just a good reminder for all of us is like, uh, is there something I should be looking at that I'm not? One question I ask a good friend of mine, we do, we kind of coach each other on our businesses and we often ask the question, what am I missing? What am I overlooking? What am I too close to that I can't see clearly anymore? Well, this is one of the things for me. We've all got something like that. So... Let's switch gears. Let's get to our topic today. So today we're doing something a little bit different. I was recently featured on the 365 Driven podcast hosted by Tony Watley. It's episode 235. Go check it out on his podcast. We're going to have the link in the show notes as well. But I wanted to bring some of the gems from the show immediately to you. We talked a lot of great things in the Fool interview. Tony asked me about being a rebellious teen. We discussed how you can't believe everything that you think, particularly about yourself, We actually discussed the design versus default peer group, the idea that I fleshed out about being very aware of the people that you're bringing into your peer group and how they can normalize success in your future goals. And here today, we're going to drop right into that conversation, just some of the highlights. So definitely check out 365 Driven episode 235. It is titled Protecting Your Mental Real Estate, but let's bring you some of the highlights right now. Here we go.
1: So give us a backstory on who April Garcia is and were you always this way or were you the adventurous type?
0: Yeah. Oh, good question. So actually I was interviewed on my podcast, the hundredth episode, and that's what people wanted to know is, was I always this way? In short, yes. Though when you're younger, it manifests itself in less positive ways, we will say. So I was always very adventurous. I'm a big outdoors buff. Loved everything, hiking, rock climbing. You could put me in the Sears, drop me off and come get me in a few days later with a backpack and a buck knife and I was fine. So yes, always very adventurous. When I was younger, I was a punk kid. was in a band, wasn't very good. If you imagine like knee high combat boots, the white face, the black lipstick the shaved head with the black bangs in the face, you get the idea. Definitely a huge chip on my shoulder. Had tough hits when I was growing up. Wasn't sure how to necessarily handle those. And so then I just became a troubled teen. In fact, I tell the story now that in my high school, I was voted least likely to succeed which was a pretty funny thing at my reunion when everyone's like, wait, you're her? Yeah, I was definitely headed to prison or the grave pretty young. Never thought I'd make it to 18. And then when I made it there, I was like, well, I'm certainly not going to make it to 20. But then I changed my life around literally at 18 and have lived a very different life since then. So quick answer is always uh, adventurous. Didn't have a good outlet. Now I got really good, healthy outlets. I went off to university. I studied sciences, my degrees in biology and chemistry. I was a scientist's first love loved, loved, loved it, wanted to be a doctor. But what happened was I worked in the sciences during the day, and at night I was a real estate investor. So I bought my first piece of real estate when I was 20, As the story goes, I purchased my first piece of real estate before I could legally buy a beer. Didn't know what I was doing. I went in with a copy of Rich Dad, Poor Dad way back in the day, right? And I was like, I was wearing overalls. I had a blue pixie cut. I walked into the title company and the lady thought I was in the wrong place. She's like, um, honey, I think you're supposed to be next door. It's like, no, no, I'm buying a house. That's a crazy story. Happy to get into it. But 13 roommates later... And a fire and two suicide attempts in that house. I bought my next piece of real estate. But what happened is I was kind of in the sciences during the day or the medical field during the day and an investor at night. And finally, one day, me and my then boyfriend turned husband, we kind of said, should we still be doing this or should we have jobs that facilitate our growth? We rochambeau and I went into real estate finance and he became a real estate agent. We since then switched multiple iterations, but worked in the corporate space for a long time. Climbed the corporate ladder real fast. I'm super ambitious. I'm super hardworking and was rewarded for that. But eventually my entrepreneur tendencies, I always had side businesses and finally they had to step in the front seat and go, you know what? We're taking over. But first had a long corporate career, which has been amazing. I worked with a lot of heavy hitters. I worked with a lot of billion dollar businesses. I learned all the best practices on that while also running side businesses and being a real estate investor and having multiple properties. And I was my own property manager. My- Oh, that's a mess. If you've ever done that, it's a lot. I learned a lot and it's incredibly valuable. So I just laid a lot out there, Tony, including not talking about travel at all. So which part of that you want me to expand on?
1: I want to go back to the, the pivotal age of 18, because you said that you're voted least likely to succeed and you had a troubled youth. you were kind of rebellious. Sounds like you're one of the members of the band Kiss, <laughs> the way you described yourself to me with the white face and the tall boots and the black and angry. Yeah. So how does someone go from least likely to succeed and angry about things to making a pivot, especially at an early age at 18, you got some kind of awareness that I needed to change. What was there something that caused that? Or what was that?
0: You know, it was a couple of things. I've been asked that a lot, not so much on podcasts, but just people that knew me, my aunt who kind of saw that progression. And she's like, what happened? Like, there's just the switch that came on at 18. Back then, what I would have told you is that I knew I would go to jail for what I was doing versus when you're young, you're just going to juvie. My parents had put me in this, like, it wasn't scared straight, but like, took me down a juvenile and never shared this on a podcast. Had a judge talk to me and try to scare me. But I had such a chip on my shoulder that I just, man, I gave him so much lip. I was just such a snot. You know, it's a combination of going, okay, now it's the big leagues. The repercussions are real. The other thing, Tony, is that if I had to go back, what I wanted most back then was freedom. When I realized I was going to get that at 18, that the life that I'd lived up until that point didn't need to be the life I was about to live. That's when everything changed. Honestly, when I was in high school, I was probably 16 and I took a college course while I was still in high school. And, and now that's more common, but then that didn't happen. And I was in an abnormal psychology class with all college kids and I'm 16. And again, I looked the way that I looked, my little goth punk kid. And the instructor was amazing and he pulled me aside And he talked to me and engaged me. And I I was always a big reader, a huge, voracious reader. So even though I was a misfit at school, I always read a ton. And I was articulate and well thought out and this and that. He's kind of like looking at me and then looking at the things I said. And he's like, you're really smart. You belong here. You don't belong there. And it was the first time that I kind of wasn't seen as a misfit. And I think I was acknowledged for my brain's. And I looked at college class and I was like, this isn't where I've come from and this would be very different for me. So kind of to bookend the then and now, I bought a ticket to London when I was 17. It was going to be right after I turned 18. This was not something my family approved of at all. I moved out when I was 18. I left when I was 18 and realizing I'd never traveled at all. And at 18, kind of having that, again, that freedom. Man, I remember like the doors opening up, we were outside of Heathrow, like I walked out, all these people stand around and I thought nobody knew me and nothing that happened before mattered now. Nobody knew any of that. And I could completely redefine myself. And I did. I redefined myself. I read lots of books. I started going to seminars. I didn't know anybody like who I wanted to become. So I read it through books. That's how I found them. I didn't have mentors that I personally knew, but I got that through books and through seminars.
1: We become exactly what our ideas about ourselves are and that you have complete control over every idea and thought that you have which evolves into becoming who you become. And we have control of that. Nobody else has that. It, it kind of really goes internal.
0: It does. And the other thing is that you can shape your ideas, but also you don't have to be your ideas. Just because you think something doesn't mean it's true. Just because you think something about yourself doesn't mean that it's true. A lot of people get tied into this thought of like, I got to believe my thoughts. You know, most of your thoughts are bullshit. You don't have to believe them. You can input totally different thoughts. You can say, I'm bad with people. I'm bad on stages. I'm an introvert. I don't know if you and I have talked about this before, but this is one of the reasons why I hate labels. I could go off on that. But people have all these labels, which are just identities, and they live into them. And I'm like, no. At any point, you can scrap that and go, I'm really good with people. I'm really good at reading a room. I'm really good at public speaking. I'm great at leadership. And as you kind of lean into that identity, yeah, you got to get the skill set. But the piece that most people miss is most of its mindset.
1: Big time. I mean, even my book, the first two chapters are mindset. That's the foundation for everything. I mean, that's something that you and I both love to talk about and self-limiting beliefs and things like that. It's unfortunate so many people are held back from their potential or even close to their potential because they hold on to, like you said, the old versions of themselves. They surround themselves with people who talk about remember when instead of imagine when. Yep. People that peaked in high school that surround them and kind of written their own lives off. So they kind of try to write you off your own dreams. I mean, we see this kind of stuff all the time.
0: As we grow, the people that are around us and sometimes people that know us the most, they get a little threatened, right? And they may not even realize that's what they're doing. And a lot of reasons that happens. One is that it makes them reflect on their own lives, their own potential. Some of it is wasted potential, some of it is missed opportunities, and that's painful for them. So if you've been with a group of friends for years and years and years, and then all of a sudden one of you decides to become a marathon runner, well, it's gonna make the rest of the people reflect on maybe their physical fitness, maybe their lost potential. Maybe, hey, I was a great athlete in college and I never did anything with it. And so, They won't know necessarily that's why they're doing it, but they're going to take shots at your dreams. They may try to even actively sabotage it. And as crappy as that is, I see it all the time. And you need to recognize that if you're leveling up, you've got to get with the kinds of people that are operating at that level for a lot of reasons. So real quick, let me go over design versus default. So our default peer group, people we went to school with, people we work with, people we live next to, our kids, my kids play with their kids. And so I'm friends with the parents. That's a default peer group and they may be great, but that's just by default. That's by circumstance. That's totally different than a designed peer group. A designed peer group is saying, I know where I'm going. I see three years out, I lean three years into the future. And I'm like, this is what I'm going after. And I'm going to put people in my peer group to support that, not just cheerlead you, but if you want to be a marathoner, like use the earlier example, you need to hang out with other people that run marathons. If you want to do the 75 hard challenge and you're like, man, it's going to be so hard because I got two young kids. Well, if you go to lunch with people that are doing 75 hard and have two young kids, it normalizes the success and the goal you're going after. So if you are leveling up, and my guess is if you're listening to Tony's podcast, you are here to level up. Be sure to get some clarity on where you're headed and then ask yourself the hard question of, is my current peer group going to get me there or do I need to bring some other people in? Only 3% of speakers, podcasters, and authors make enough money to do it as a full-time career. 3%, man, that's bad. I came from the big business world, and if I wanted to scale my speaking career and release courses, I knew I needed more than just case studies and metrics. I actually needed a personal brand. Brand Builders Group is a personal brand strategy firm for thought leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs, and they work with some of the biggest names. They help clarify your message, expand reach, and increase revenue while monetizing your personal brand. I still do their monthly consulting package, but I've also done their workshops, webinars. They're all great. Don't be part of the 97% who can't afford to do the work they love full-time connect with the same team I hired to help me. Check them out at pivot-me.com backslash partners and get on their schedule for a free call.
1: I love the conversation about mindset. I want to shift a little bit here. Corporate background, because I know that we have a lot of listeners who maybe are still working that corporate career or they're thinking about exiting that corporate career. What are the pros and cons that you think they should be paying attention to while they're still employed at that corporate job? Like, what are the things that they need to take with them?
0: Sure. Great question. Great question. I actually work with a lot of people that fall into that category, exiting a corporate career. So that's a conversation that I have literally every week. So a couple of things. When you're thinking about exiting a corporate career, a lot of people will tell you, you know, you got to make this big jump and you burn the boats and you That's nice. It makes a really good quote card on social media, but most of the people that I've known who have done this successfully, that's not how they did it. They didn't just walk up and put up the middle finger and go, I'm out of here, pal. Figure it out, Bob. That's usually not what happens. It's a strategy. It's an exit strategy that's pre-planned so that you can move into this next thing. Now it still takes a ton of courage. Just so you know, you'll never feel totally ready. And that's very important. I want you to hear that. If you're someone that's on the fence, it's like, I want to do this thing. I got this idea for business. Maybe I've been doing a little bit on the side, but man, I got this sweet six figure corporate career. How am I going to do that? You need to know you'll never totally be ready. So if you're waiting for all the green lights to line up before you pull the car out of your driveway, that day doesn't come. So you've got to put some things in place, but just know if you're waiting for the sign, let this conversation you're listening to right now be it. So you put a plan. I'm just thinking about a client that I'm working with right now. She works in speech analytics and we have this conversation. We've been having this conversation for nine months. All right. So let's put an exit plan together. So you think about the skill sets that you got out of it. You think about the practical things, like how much money do we need to have in the bank? The answer can't be $170,000, you know, maybe like a 12 month run rate or some other period like that, but actually create an exit plan for you and think about the skill sets that you got. Think about how they're going to play into the marketplace. Whatever you're about to do, just so you know, you don't have to be the best at it. A lot of people are like, well, how can I compete against this? And I want to be the best at it. And the second someone says, I want to be the best at it, I think, well, it's going to take a really freaking long time. It's going to take you so long. And do not say you're a perfectionist, because all that means is that you're scared and you're going to put your product out way longer in the future than you needed to, that all the people that need your services aren't going to get it because you're at home tinkering, trying to make it perfect. You will never get perfect. You are not German engineering. It does not work like that. So back to the exit corporate career. Here's the thing, Tony, that I need to say. I've worked with so many people who are in this situation. The biggest struggle they're going to have is the thing we talked about earlier, identity because they identify as a corporate person. I had a corporate career. I had an identity around, I came from the telecommunications industry. So I was in real estate finance for years, Chase Manhattan and Wells. And then I went into telecommunications, which I didn't even know what that was. I got recruited into it. I was in, I got a call when I was in El Salvador doing humanitarian work. And they're like, we want to recruit you into this industry, telecommunications. I'm like, like cell phones? No, I'm out. They're like, no, you don't understand. It's big government contracts. And it ended up being this great career. But When I was in telecom, that was my identity. People knew me. i go to trade shows and conferences. Everybody knew who I was. First telecommunications is mostly male. So I kind of stuck out in that way. I had a reputation. I had a network. I was very well known. I walked into the room, people knew who I was. And that became a problem when I tried to leave because my identity was wrapped up in that. And if you are financially well compensated and you get the accolades and all the nice things that come along with doing a kick-ass job at your corporate job, it's going to be very hard for you to leave that identity. That's going to be the hardest part for you to walk away from.
1: I started feeling that exact feeling that you just described at age 40. Very pivotal age for us. Doing a lot of internal reflection on impact and legacy. It already made the money I made. And it took me another four years to finally take that action to go do something different, which has led to what I'm doing now. But I had all the naysayers and critics. I've had people that I've known and been on vacation with for 20 years. I've known some of these people. And when I started to change and wanting to go into coaching and help people and write books and do things like public speaking, it made people very uncomfortable where they didn't feel like they related to me anymore. And, you know, they quit inviting me to do things and, and I was okay with it. Cause I, I had to go through that internal work of freeing myself of potential criticism and what other people think I had to go do that first. It was really hard, really hard. It was about a two year period of just really doing that soul searching, but I forgive those people for understanding that we weren't meant to align forever. We crossed paths in a moment of time, and maybe we were friends and We each took away some good and bad from those situations, but we have to evolve and you can't just hold on to people for the sake of holding on to people. And it's going to hurt when people that you thought that were friends or you trusted will criticize or saying just passive aggressive things. They'll say like, you know, what do you think you're going to be Tony Robbins? And,
0: or it must be nice.
1: Who are you to write a book? Or, you know, I've heard the must be nice stuff for a very long time because I started companies so far back, but I got past that pretty quick. But the personal dings of, you know, them doubting you when you're writing a book and you say, I'm going to go try to do a bestseller push. I'm going to hire these coaches. And they're like, well, who would buy your book? Why would they want to read your book? And stuff like that. You know, guys, I've sold thousands of copies of my book. It hit number one in small business category. I mean, it really showed them. And even then, even after it achieved that. Some of these people were still trying to be naysayers like, well, you just got lucky or you probably bought your own copies of your book. I mean, just the hateful things that people think of, you know, so.
0: Yeah. And here's the thing. Everything they said, Tony, about you wasn't about you. It's 100% about them. When they open their mouth and they start saying things like that, if you're listening now, because there are people in your life that are going to do that, you need to know that when they open their mouth and the words come out it is a reflection of their own insecurities. Here's the thing. If this is a trusted advisor, someone close to you, listen to what they have to say. Don't immediately go, well, you're full of shit. I'm not going to listen to you. Is there merit to what they're saying? But if they're saying, well, who's going to buy your book? Well, why are you going to hire a coach like that? What are you going to be the next Tony Robbins? The cheerleaders don't just come out of the woodwork to surround you and go, yeah, you got this, Tony. Like that's not what they do. The haters. They're gonna hate because that's what they do. Angry people get angrier, and they're gonna come out and they're gonna tell you all the reasons why they couldn't do the thing that you're about to do. Do not give them airtime. You don't have to listen to their concerns. When you're first breaking out, when you're first stepping outside of the box that was created for you, it's going to hurt and people aren't going to like it. So I'll tell you this if it's your partner, your life partner, or someone you're married to, that can cause some problems. I talk about this a lot in my mastermind. If that's the case, Here's the antidote to that. You need to let people that you love and you want to continue in your life, say a spouse, say a sibling, you need to let them know that there's space for them. There's space for the older version of them in your new life. This is what they're afraid of. Is she going to outgrow me? Like, is she going to get so big that suddenly she doesn't want to be with me anymore? Is my sister going to, she's up on all these stages and she's going to be famous. Is she not going to come to our Sunday barbecues anymore? So that's someone that you want to still have in your life. Let them know that your growth, don't take them along in the growth, by the way, let them lead their life. They, nobody wants to be drugged. Don't, don't coach your family. Don't coach your spouse, but just understand that, Their foundation is going to get rocked a little bit, but you can address that proactively. You can love up on them more, let them know like, hey, I'm I'm still me and we're still going to do these things. But that's a very real challenge people face when they're growing.
1: And I love the mindset discussions. I love the energy you brought and the really tangible takeaways on how to get past yourself and all these self-limiting beliefs and these ego things. We had a lot of good nuggets. Thank you for being a part of the show, April.
0: Thank you for having me, Tony. I love what you're doing. I love the message to your audience, and it's been awesome to be here, and I look forward to whatever we're about to do next. Tony and I had a great conversation there. I like how Tony and I had similar backgrounds in corporate America, and both had made the decision to step away, though it may have cost us a lot at the time, ultimately it was worth it, that we both had this history of going our own way, despite the overwhelming evidence despite the overwhelming case, to stay put. As we discuss peer group, I want you to take a moment and think about your own peer group. We talk about that on Pivot Me, but really take a second and kind of take a look around you. Do they represent your future or only your past? Do you have people in your peer group pushing you ahead, elevating you, pulling you to the next version of you when you think about the goals that you're after? Maybe it's the goals this year, maybe it's your three-year goals the things that you want to achieve. Are there people in your peer group that have done some of those things? If the answer is no, you got to change that. I'm not saying stop hanging out with your people. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying bring some other people into your group that represent where you're headed, not where you were. As for today, again, this was just a few highlights from our interview. Go check out the full interview, 365 Driven, episode 235, Protecting Your Mental Real Estate. And I'll see you next Thursday.